You're listening to All Things Video, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the past and charting the future of the online video ecosystem. This episode is brought to you by Epidemic Sound, the company reimagining music licensing for the digital age. Epidemic's library contains tens of thousands of tracks that you can license a la carte or on a subscription basis. Unlike other music licensing companies, Epidemic Sound owns its entire catalog and makes tracks available via one straightforward license to cover all your needs, worldwide and in perpetuity. No more headaches around usage reporting, performance royalties, or murky rights ownership. It's better for the artists and better for you, the creator. So whatever your music needs, Epidemic Sound has got you covered. You're listening to All Things Video. I'm your host, James Creech, and today's guest is Brian Nickerson, co-founder and CEO of MagicLinks. Brian, welcome to the show. Excited to be here, James. Oh, we're glad to have you. Let's start off by talking a little bit about the company. What is MagicLinks and what inspired you to start the business? Yeah, so MagicLinks empowers YouTube creators with tools for authentic social commerce. So we make it really easy to share products they love and earn income as their fans shop. We work with more than 2,000 of the world's leading creators uh, and more than 1,500 of the world's leading brands uh, to help make that connection. Uh, you know, from a really high level, sort of the idea is advertisers historically have sort of put a message out into the world and then wanted people to transact based on that message, right? So Coca-Cola says, drink Coke, let's drink Coke. And I think what's amazing about what's happening in the creator space and particularly the digital creator space is there's a sense of authenticity and really like creators are embracing authenticity. That authenticity means real relationships with their fans so in the same way where many years ago, it'd be like, you're fr- like we're friends because we go to the same school or we see each other, we talk to each other. Friendships are being formed through digital and through video in a way that's like global and instantaneous. And those friendships can actually drive purchases to brands. And right now, creators, that's happening. Most creators aren't getting credit for that. And so we want to help close that gap and bring basically a new revenue model to creators. It's very cool because... As we've seen, a lot of creators are pretty dependent initially on their advertising dollars and then on brand sponsorship opportunities. But as we enter an age of ad blocking and looking for more organic or native ways for a creator to share things they love and the brands that they have a strong affinity for with their audience, that e-commerce or affiliate marketing is a great way to do that and opens up a new revenue stream as you touched on. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know the other thing that it does is it, it informs with data to those other two, the existing pillars. So from a content perspective, if you know what your fans are going to buy, it's really powerful for creating new content, right? So in a very extreme case, if you were, you know, kind of interior home decor or uh, interior home repair person like DIY, and you link to Home Depot and Lowe's, you talk about products from Home Depot, you talk about products from Lowe's. If all of your fans purchase from Home Depot and no one from Lowe's, you might not know that. And with Magic Links and some of the tools we provide, you would actually see that data and you would know. So you could actually create better content going forward that's more tailored to where your fans is, or at least you have that information and you can make decisions on it. And then from the sponsorship you know, point of view as well, which is a lot of creators are searching for that. If they're small, it's hard to get those type of dollars. If they're big, you know, there's also there's an authenticity issue that happens around sponsorships. And if the match isn't perfect between creator and brand, And brands have their own voice. Creators are brands in and of themselves. And the relationship they have with their audience is in a similar way, 
brands have a relationship with their customers. And so you want to find that perfect match. But a lot of times in the chase for dollars, that can get undermined. Um, and so we, our tools help creators stay authentic as they talk about things that they love. And you do all of these, uh, the matchmaking essentially direct to the brand. You're not going through other marketplaces or affiliates like Amazon, or do you work with some of their affiliate programs as well? Yes. So the affiliate industry has been around for a long time. And so we plug into major networks that are a part of that industry, right? So you've got Pepper Jam, you've got Commission Junction, you've got Rakuten, you've got, there's probably like 20 major affiliate networks. Um, And Magic Link's technology plugs into all of those networks. That's the scalable way to reach creators. The thing that we're constantly doing with brands is educating them on the value of a YouTube creator. And many brands who work through affiliate networks, they're used to sort of coupon and cashback sites and those types of business models. So I think a lot of creators have had, if they've dabbled in affiliates, have had some, many of them have had not great you know, results. A brand says, hey, why don't you link to our product? They work together, they link. They're like, I sent 2000 clicks to a particular retailer and I made like a dollar. What happened? And the retailers kind of frustrated as well. And a lot of that are structural issues that are related to the entire industry. And so, for example, one is cookie duration. So a cookie duration is the if you watch a video, you click on a link, you go to a particular product page at a brand. The cookie duration is if that purchase happens within the period of the cookie duration, the creator gets paid for it. If it happens outside of that cookie duration then the brand says, well, that's our customer. And so we'll see some brands will actually have a four-hour cookie duration. So it's like if someone buys within four hours, great. Thanks for sending it. Otherwise, thanks for that new customer. Thanks for the lifetime value of that person who we sent there. We're not going to pay you anything. Yeah, that seems really short. Yeah. What is the industry average around cookie duration? Most brands are pretty short. So like Amazon has a one-day cookie window. Um, In some cases, it's even shorter for certain partners. Um, I think, you know, industry-wise, you're kind of looking at around five days. And for Magic Links, for our creators, we're on average about 18 to 20 days, um, which is really powerful. And that's like one-by-one negotiations with brands to get there. And you know, some brands are ready to embrace it, and others are still thinking about affiliate marketing in a different model. But we're trying to essentially help brands invest in creators who are on YouTube and to have the structure of their technology work for that and the structure for the way that they compensate creators work to do that. I imagine it differs pretty wildly by product, but it seems that for a lot of people who are making a purchase consideration online, that they might view a video and then wanted to visit the site, do additional research. They get another uh, social recommendation from a friend. And so there could be multiple uh, sources that are influencing them to make that ultimate purchase decision. Yeah, absolutely. A question industry-wide is how do you measure first those different touch points And then to how and where do you compensate? So for example, and we think, right, the reason why I'm so excited about this business, why I'm so excited about it for creators is like solving that problem is a massive opportunity. If you're in a dynamic that happens where you watch your favorite creator, you've seen 30 of her videos, you've seen her do makeup routine, fashion routine, you've seen her travel, you've seen her go into relationship, out of relationship, you've seen her move, you've seen her redecorate her apartment. And on video number 31, she says... I just got this brand new lipstick that came out like Too Faced is awesome. Check it out. If you click on that and go buy and maybe you buy, you know, a month later, but the reason you made that decision, we think a lot of times is driven by creators. So if someone else touches that in the intervening time between the time that creator introduces it to you right now as an industry, a lot of times the payment is zero. 
And we don't think that's fair for creators. And so fundamentally, that's that's the type of conversations we're in with a lot of brands is to help solve that. The answer certainly isn't zero. Maybe the answer is something less than the full value, right? Each touch point plays a role in the ultimate purchase decision. But when your friend or when someone who's your friend through a channel tells you this thing is awesome, that there's value to that. There's massive value for that. And I think brands are missing that by and large. If the ultimate purchase action takes place the most part on the brand site, how do you have transparency into that action in order to know to pay the creator out? Yeah. So that's, that's part of why we partner with existing affiliate networks um, is that that technology has been around for a long time and the affiliate networks who partner directly with brands and have technology that goes into the brand shopping cart. Um, so we're relying on our partners for that piece. And I think as a startup, one of the things you always try to think about is like, which partners do you rely on and what partnerships do you form? And then what technology do you try to build in house? And certainly that given the the nature of kind of how long the affiliate industry has been around um, right now, we're trying to work with those partners, but we're also looking for, we are pressing the networks constantly for like, this is the dynamic that's happening. And many networks are actually coming to us now and saying, look at the data we're seeing. And so what can those existing technology partners do to help with the first thing that I mentioned is do a better job of measuring all of those touch points. Some networks are releasing technology in 2017 that is doing a much better job of measuring the customer journey and helping to answer some of those questions that ultimately, you know, as brands think about how do we invest in creators? How do we invest in video? How do we invest in new social platforms? um, How do we invest in blogs as a distribution channel through affiliate? That technology is starting to move. And like, I mean, one of my, one of the things that I constantly do with both networks and brands is like push that conversation. Let's have that conversation. Let's talk about it. Do you know? And it's remarkable how many brands don't know. And hopefully we'll, we're, we're solving that sort of one advertiser at a time. <laughs> <laughs> so what inspired you to focus on online video creators? Why start Magic Links in the first place? I mean, for me, it was a, a little bit of a random walk. I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I didn't know when or where that was going to happen. And for me... I needed to have an idea that I had a lot of conviction about in order to leave a corporate job. Um, and so I worked at Yahoo. Uh, I worked in their search marketing group for a couple of years. Um, and then I built a division at Internet Brands um, that was all kind of shopping and deal oriented. And the idea that I had conviction about was reinventing the coupon industry. <laughs> um, and so the first company that I started was called Chipmunk. Um, and that was basically meant to be, a, or it is, right, a kayak for coupons. For consumers, it was hard to find coupons that worked. And for retailers, having a coupon isn't necessarily, that's not the number one channel that you invest in as a brand trying to engage with new customers. But if you could have a, a website that does an amazing job for consumers, brands would want to be a part of that. So that industry, the coupon online coupon business has been around also for a very long time. Um, And there were some major players in that industry. Um, Shortly after we started Chipmunk, um, Retail Me Not IPO'd, Coupons.com IPO'd. So all of a sudden you had like a couple billion dollar companies that were live in that industry. And we knew, right, that was going to be a challenge to get customers. Um, And I also knew that there was a lot of attention being paid in YouTube. um, And that basically eyeballs and time and attention, especially for young people, was being spent on YouTube. So the initial idea was let's find a way to bring coupons into YouTube. And the more that we had direct conversations with creators and talked with them and tried our value proposition, the thing we kept hearing back from creators is 
that's great to have a coupon. It doesn't fully work because the way that we publish isn't really around coupons. It's around the love of stuff that we're doing in any creative industry. And then two, creators were frustrated. Um, and they were frustrated because they're like, I know I'm a star. I've got 100,000 subscribers on my channel or 500,000 subscribers on my channel. And yet I'm not being compensated nearly for the influence that I have. I'm working you know, at Starbucks. I'm working like two or three jobs. I'm in one area of my life, I'm really famous. And in another area of my life, I'm completely anonymous. And so there's this really big gap between kind of influence and earnings of what the potential was and where they actually were. So it was like a natural transition basically from one idea to, okay, we're facing challenges here. How do we grow? We have like some really big competitors. And then here's this other opportunity that we're hearing about and we can, we can solve that problem. And it's kind of a fun problem to solve too. So how did you meet the online video creators? You know, it's a mix of things, right? So a variety of just reaching out to them and finding them on their channel, sometimes commenting on their channel, finding a way to you know create a relationship through comments. We met a couple of the leading digital agencies. Um, and so we met like either talent managers or talent agents who would represent a number of creators. Um, and as, as our value proposition got stronger and stronger, they felt more comfortable about saying, okay, let's like try it out. Like this creator is looking for that type of opportunity. Um, sounds like you guys have something we're not sure. Why don't you start working together and see what happens? And so, you know, remarkably, it's sort of like one by one to create those type of relationships. And then also, right, like going to VidCon or industry events. And uh, Skylar's here in the room as well. He's, he's our head of business development. And like the two of us literally have no fear about going up to creators and being really, you know, like we, we relate to creators. We, that our job is to serve them. And we also have no fear about introducing ourselves and talking with them about what they're passionate about and seeing, you know, if there's a fit, that's awesome. If not, like it's cool to learn what people are doing because YouTube is just such an exciting, you know, space and like, YouTube ultimately is this like democratic platform to like put your ideas out in the world. So it's a fun you know place to be a part of that we're naturally you know passionate about. So one of the things that a lot of early startups struggle with is finding scalability, right? And so yeah. if you think about building essentially a, kind of a marketplace concept where you need to work with brands on one hand, you need to work with creators on the other hand. You tapped into uh, the existing affiliate networks and technology very effectively, but when you were wrestling with that kind of chicken and egg question. How did you decide to build a strong foundation and say, this is something that we feel has high growth potential and we can scale effectively? Yeah, it's such a great question. I think it's like, it's what every entrepreneur I feel like faces, um, especially if you're building a two-sided market place, there's some challenges that are unique to that versus like, let's say if you're, you're selling a beauty product and you're launching a brand, you need to get in touch with customers, but you don't have a sort of second side of that marketplace. So I think, I mean, one like, constant challenge I feel like is as an entrepreneur, I want to think big. So I want to think like, you know, how do we help creators link to any product sold to any store from any channel and make money from any one of those transactions that they're inspiring their fans to make. And sometimes that thinking big can actually hinder you a little bit. Um, because I think what, what you need and to your point, James, right, is traction. So how do you, you actually, I, what I've learned, right. And through the hard way in many ways is like, how do you have a really compelling value proposition for a niche of the market? Because Amazon, Amazon today, right? Like Amazon, I think is a good example. Well, I guess it, they're not quite as much doing both sides of the market, right? But they focus just on books first, and they had a they had to figure out a really amazing, compelling value proposition in the book space, um, and they needed to get distribution from the publishers, and they needed to get customers. 
And for us, that early, that really wide focus, we had to narrow that down. And basically fashion and beauty was where that started. And we had seen, you know, from a market research perspective, right? You see Michelle Fawn doing really well. The kind of social engagement that happens around social or around fashion and beauty is, you know, people trust what they're, they're looking to see their friends' opinions. They want to share opinions when they see it. They're willing to make purchases. And as a category, brands are willing to pay more for that than something like consumer electronics that might have like a, you know, 2% profit margin. Um, fashion and beauty products a lot of times have a really high profit margin. So brands are really willing to invest in that um, earlier on. So for us, like solving that chicken and egg problem was actually how do we go smaller and get like, if we can, ha- if we can find a hundred creators who are focused in that space and a hundred brands that are awesome, that's our way to create compelling value. And as we create compelling value there, let's figure out that model and bring it into different verticals of content. Um, and we're still working on that. So what are some of those other verticals? It seems like fashion beauty, obviously, is kind of a no-brainer. Uh, yeah. As you mentioned, there's a lot of strategic relevance to that and a lot of passionate creators and, and uh, eager audiences for those products. What are some of the other verticals where you found success? Yeah. So I think tech is one that that has we have seen success. And I think like the other thing we look for is like, how do you find a tent pole partner? Right. So if you want to, even if you, right, if you go even more micro, how do you find a tentpole partner in that space, um, both from a creator perspective and from a brand perspective? So in tech, one of our partners is, is, you know, 19 years old. He does an amazing job of like bringing out the, the like latest and greatest tech products. Um, he's totally, totally honest about any product. So sometimes he'll review a $400 item and be like, ah, this is not, you don't need to spend your $400 on this. So tech is a is a vertical that we've had you know some really good success. We have a great tentpole partner, and that's sort of starting to expand. Home decor is a really big one where those purchases take a little bit longer to happen, um, but there's certainly a lot of like interest around that type of content. And then uh, uh, gaming uh, is one that we're kind of increasingly starting to see. Um, I think like there hasn't been a launch of a new platform, a new gaming platform in a little while, so that like a new, like a lot of it's moved to mobile. So that also makes like, where do the purchases happen in that industry, you know, change over time. And those, those dynamics are interesting, but gaming is another one. Um, And then in the music space, you know, we're proud partners of Lincoln park. Um, That's also, you know, what's interesting there is like consumer behavior has changed from obviously like at a certain point in time, people bought, you know, cassette tapes, I'm probably aging myself with that. Um, then people bought like, you know, CDs and DVDs around music. Um, then people bought streaming songs and now people basically just sign up to streaming services. So the purchase dynamics like are different in any, any industry, but even the data is really valuable for creators. So knowing that, you know, if you're, you know, a musician and you, and you're sending your fans, here's how you can get my songs on Spotify, on Google play, on Amazon, on iTunes. If all your fans go to iTunes, that tells you a lot of information about as a brand, right? Where you can deliver the most value for your fans. What are some of the challenges for creators in navigating the world of affiliate marketing? You know, number one is scalability. So a creator who wants to work directly with a brand that can work, but it's hard for an individual creator to get a premium payout from a brand. Um, And then it's hard to work across multiple brands. As I think about from a creator's perspective, they want to create amazing content and they want to have a great business that supports that content. And and in affiliate marketing, there's a lot of blocking and tackling that needs to happen. 
you need to meet with the brand. The brand, if you, if you, as a creator, you meet with a brand, they also might try to impose their way of looking at the world on the way that they interact with you. And then I notice a lot with brands too, is that brands are careful of their own brand message and they sometimes lose that as they work with a creator partner. Then it's like, well, how do we solve that? The way we solve it is, okay, the brand will pay the creative partner. And in affiliate marketing, it's all performance-based, right? So the way a creator earns money is by sending sales to the brand. So for a brand to invest that way, the brand, it's like a no-brainer for a brand to invest. Um, And from my perspective, right? Like the only time a brand pays is after a customer buys. That's awesome. A brand should do that all day long and they should be willing to pay a lot for that. A lot of times though, they want to, the brand, when they engage with a creator, the brand is basically saying, you as a creator, right? I'm getting like production. I'm getting creative design, creative Instead of like hiring a whole bunch of people and creating a commercial, you're basically working with a creator and they're doing all of that for you as a brand. And brands still, I think like some new brands are, are learning this, but you take an old school brand. When I say old school, like brick and mortar, like, right, you take like Target, Kohl's, like a number of really big brands, they want to be involved in all of that process. And at a certain point, I think creators are like, I've got like, I know my fans, I know the product, let me say what I want to say. And like, I don't need your help, right, for the brand. And brands feel like, well, if we're paying for it, we need to be a part of that process. And so I think that's where a lot of the consternation comes between creators and brands. And then especially in the affiliate space, if you do all that work and have that engagement as a creator and you don't get paid or you don't make that much, you feel like, gosh, like I should just have the brand pay me up front or else I won't do it again. Um, and so that's what we try to bring is like, we, we will, those, the blocking and tackling of the technology. So it's easy to do it across a number of brands. That's part of Magic Link's value proposition. And then with retailers, the fact that we work with so many creators now, and so many creators trust our tools, we're able to go to a creator and say, it's not one channel with a hundred thousand subscribers. It's, you know, 2000 channels with X number of subscribers. And so we bring a little bit more leverage to that conversation that I think as an individual creator is hard to do. And then some creators aren't used to those type of negotiations too. And and all the little like details that sort of go, go on behind the scenes where a brand who might be very sophisticated might not be forthcoming to a creator about let's solve all these problems. They, they are getting free traffic. You touched on your background at Yahoo and then at internet brands and ultimately this calling to be an entrepreneur. Have you always kind of considered yourself an entrepreneurial spirit? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I have, I definitely have an appetite for risk. My parents would probably tell you that that was, you know, as a young person that was like climbing trees and being, you know, 30 feet high in a tree as like a four-year-old. <laughs> I don't know how my parents, they don't seem too worried about it now, but they must've been at the time. Coming right out of school too, I got drafted by the Dodgers. Um, and so I played a couple years of minor league baseball and relative to, you know, a lot of my peers had you know, great jobs going to Wall Street or consulting companies or like had like high paying jobs. Um, baseball is obviously a dream, but it's also, you know, I, I think my first year I made $850 a month. You're playing, you know, and it's extremely high risk because the minor leagues are a pyramid, you know, and there's like 700 and some odd players who are major league players. And then there, most major league teams have six farm system teams beneath it where, you know, everyone's a professional player, everyone's really good, and it's really hard to sort of move and break out. But that appetite for risk is something that I've sort of always had where I care more about making a mark in the world than I do about earning money. And so if I can, if I can like help create that, that's something that I'm really passionate about doing. It's a journey. I'm just like excited about the journey. And I wake up like, 
I've had like nice corporate jobs before. And certainly at Yahoo was a like, you know, kind of big corporate job and same with internet brands. Um, but I also felt like I couldn't express my own creativity in as many ways as I wanted to under a corporate environment. Um, and as an entrepreneur, like work way harder, <laughs> right? Make way less money. Um, the struggle is real, but it's also like every day I'm like so passionate about all those pieces that I'm doing. So like my life as a whole is a lot better. I love it. I think I've always been, and I just needed a place where I was like, had the, the right, the conviction and really like overcoming my own fear. What does it mean to not make a salary for a period of time as an entrepreneur? What does it mean to like leave the comfort that a corporate job brings you? Um, and how do you, how do you like cross that chasm? And really it starts internally. And so getting in touch with myself and figuring out when that was there was like the first step. What would you say is the hardest part about starting a business? I think it's starting. <laughs> it's really that, that simple, right? I know Kosla, amazing VC and an entrepreneur himself started as an entrepreneur. I think he's started or backed like six or seven different billion dollar plus enterprises. Um, so if you've done that once in a certain sense, you're good, but there's an element of luck, perhaps if you've done that six or seven times over, like you're really good. This moment stands out in my mind where he said the absolute hardest step is the first step. Once you take that first step, it's not like things necessarily get easier, but at least you you have now put yourself on a path where you're moving down a road that where all kinds of like new things sort of unfold and new opportunities happen. And I think, you know, I think that's what I hear from a lot of people who do want to be entrepreneurs is like, how do I take that first step? Um, how and when and where do I have that conviction? And then how do I like rally people and resources around that cause? And one of the great things, you know, in the same way that like YouTube democratizes the ability to get your information out into the world, it's never been easier to start a company now. I think in many ways, it's maybe harder to get traction in many ways. Um, but like, you know, it used to be that you needed to raise a whole lot of money just to have the infrastructure costs, right? The, even Amazon Web Services as a, as a system, like you used to need to buy servers, install software on those servers, have a physical location for those servers. And then two years later, upgrade those servers as the technology has moved four or five times. And, and that whole thing might cost you a million dollars. And now like you can be up and live on Amazon in, you know, an hour or a couple or a day, right. And you, and paying, you know, $200 a month and have like a decent, you know, offering for consumers under that. And you can do it really fast. So it's, it's cool how that's, how that's moved. What does the future hold for Magiclinks? We want to help creators be able to link to any product sold at any store online and earn as their fans shop through that. What fundamentally what we think about is authenticity um, and authentic social commerce. So how do we empower creators to stay authentic and provide them tools that continue to allow them to do that? Because I think the face of advertising is shifting dramatically and is going out of the hands of the brands and into the hands of creators and into the hands of word of mouth. And so that's what we want to, we want to empower that movement that's happening. And I think you'll see, you know, more tools, more technology, certainly more relationships. Um, and I think like, as we play a part, certainly in educating the side of the affiliate industry of the value of this, um, I think you'll see, you know, and we've seen this over the last few months is like more and more brands getting it. How are we all in? What do we do? And now our challenge is like, how do we support that from a brand side, but really support the creators from an authentic perspective? Because I think I think a lot of startups miss that. I think a lot of startups go, how do we solve the brand's problem first? Because that's where the money, that's where the early money is. And when they miss that for creators, creators are like, thanks for your money. I'm moving on. And what do you see 
coming next for the online video industry? If you had to make three predictions. <laughs> James, you're like the expert in this field. So I, I feel like I'm, uh, <laughs> I need to get this right. So I think online video, I think, you know, the big trends that I see coming up, I think live this year and maybe the next few years is going to be an explosion in live video. If you think about uh, what's the name of the Jim Carrey movie where he has video following him all around and he realizes he's in a world. The Truman Show? The Truman Show. Yes. So that is actually like a brilliant take on where the world, where we've ended up <laughs> and increasingly where we are. And I think there was some stat I heard is like, if you are out and about on the street every minute, there's something like more than a hundred photos or videos or something taken of you because that's just how pervasive technology is. Um, so I think live really as the number one direction of where things are going, it's authentic. Anyone can do it. The platforms, especially Facebook um, and certainly Instagram and Snapchat, YouTube has their offering. To me, it doesn't seem like creators are embracing it there as much as they are on Facebook. Um, but the major, major players are providing amazing technology to empower live video. And I think you'll see like the rise of live. The second trend that I think is like, you know, and this is, this is more from a, like the marketing perspective is that I think this year will be the year of the influencer. Um, and I know there's some people that actually think the complete opposite of that, that there's like, this is a moment in time for creators. I think opposite of that, right? I think that the power of influencers in terms of the relationship they have with fans and what that means for where, where and how people make purchase decisions I think that's going to, you know, 60 Minutes did an in-depth dive into this in like November or December. And I think this is just like the beginning of that. And then I think on the other end of the video spectrum too, that you'll see. So my third prediction would be like more investment in um, original content by major platform players and then probably like moving down the ecosystem. So Netflix, right, certainly has done that. Um, Amazon Originals. And now, right, a Netflix original show stands for quality and people know that and it's pretty awesome and netflix just had you know amazing subscriber numbers that they came out with a, a couple of days ago huge growth that the market didn't anticipate and i think that's a part of their investment in amazing content and i think you'll see that like philosophically trickle down in the market i think a lot of you know what i hear from mcns and and some leading creators is like how do we invest in even better content on youtube sometimes i think like you can miss out on authenticity so how does that balance out but um, fundamentally, I think you're going to see more and more like the notion of Netflix investing $100 million in a brand new show that's awesome that stars like Kevin Spacey. I think you're going to see the equivalent of that in the YouTube space and you're going to start to see some breakouts there. And we're seeing Netflix original shows winning Golden Globes, yeah. getting audience numbers that rival or eclipse those of traditional television networks. So it's, yeah, it's clear that, that that's attained a level of legitimacy. And now we're going to see that on the short form SVOD platforms like Fullscreen and Code90 and you know, mm -hmm. YouTube Red, obviously. I agree with you. I think the predictions live, the year of the influencer, and more investments in original content are all very much right on the nose. What else are you seeing? You know, there's a lot of investment and enthusiasm right now for SVOD. And I think that there are too many players in that field. It's very crowded. And we're going to see some consolidation, some mm -hmm. losers in that space over mm -hmm. the next year or two. We talk a lot about influencer marketing, right? And uh, again, struggles to build two-sided marketplaces and people take a different approach, whether you start with the influencer side as most do, or in some cases, start with the brands. I think the programmatic opportunities of bringing those two parties together, in some cases, create actually negative experiences, both for brands mm -hmm. and creators. Mm -hmm. So we're going to see a kind of a move away from some of those and mm. more of an emphasis on uh, premium sales opportunities facilitated through those trusted partners, whether that's an MCN, a talent agency or a manager. 
I think that those are all trends that like I see and, and concur with. So if you were starting a business in the online video space today, what would you do? I would find a way to fully embrace either Facebook Live or Instagram. I know there's a lot of buzz about Snapchat. I think there's some things that I think Instagram is sort of structurally positioned better than Snapchat, um, at least for a certain demographic. Snapchat for a, for a younger demographic is different, but I would find a way to... Um, and I think the reason I say that is because I think if you're an early mover in a new medium on a massive platform, that's where you can create amazing value. And to be early to solve some of the problems that one or both sides of the market has in that massive opportunity, in that massive platform um, is where you can create a lot of value. And so I think we're early. I know we're massive and I think attention is going to be there. Um, so I think I would start a business. I'd want to I don't know enough about the problems that people are facing. I mean, one that I know of is, you know, creators, if they want to create a live video on Facebook Live, how do you take that content and use it on another platform? Because a lot of them have an existing audience or following somewhere else. So I've seen creators, and I actually saw this earlier this week, right? At a, um, we were at an industry show and we were at a nightclub at Las Vegas. And there was like a, a woman who was there who was a creator um, and she had one phone that she was Facebook live streaming on and a second phone in her other hand that she was, I think it was YouTube or something else that she was recording. Right. So she's doing this sort of like double thing. And it's like, technologically, is that, is that really where we ought to be? So maybe there's a, maybe there's technology that solves that problem, right. That lets people create content across different models. But that would be the place I would focus is like, figure out what a burning, burning, burning problem is. Not an okay problem, but a burning problem. And I've learned that, you know, the hard way. And many times is like, right, coupons into YouTube, not a burning problem. Help us make money from influencing decisions, burning problem. And so I would look for a burning problem and I'd look for it, you know, on Facebook Live or on Instagram stories. And where can people find out more about you and more about Magic Links? Yeah. So um, Magic Links is www.magiclinks.org. And we're also on uh, on YouTube. So you can search for Magic Links on YouTube, um, all one word. My name is Brian Nickerson and I'm a you know, co-founder and CEO. And I think all my information is on LinkedIn. It's also, there's a profile of me on, uh, on Magic Links. Uh, so yeah, that's the easiest way to, to find more information. Well, this has been really insightful. I mean, I learned a lot about influencer marketing and the kind of affiliate marketing component of that. So thanks for sharing all of uh, your expertise and thanks again for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, James. It's a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in. I'm James Creech, and this has been another edition of All Things Video. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes. See you next time.